Hey, welcome back everyone to the Reflex Blue Show. I'm your host, Donovan Beer, and I got with me Katie Rich. Hello. Katie, Katie, you were the luncheon keynote. You had to, at this on-brand conference brought to, I, I need to give a great shout out to AMA, AAF, PRSA, the local Nebraska, uh-huh. Omaha chapters of, of all of them, which, yep. which for those unfamiliar, I guess we've been, last couple of podcasts, have been saying these uh, alphabets. I, People are wondering, what what is that? Can you tell yeah, me more? It's, it's the ad club, the marketing club, the PR club. Okay. Right? I mean, yep. that's, that's kind of what it is. And so it's the, the, all the alphabetical letters, all in one. And you, you had to speak while people ate. So I did. Well, it was actually, it was it was the most undesirable slot because it was not only while they were eating, but then it was the post-lunch food coma. And so you just hope that you're not putting everyone to sleep. Yeah, and the buffet was right here. It was right, we were right. watching it while I was recording the other shows. Right. There was a couple people, I'm like, are they snoozing off? But I just had to tell myself, it's just, it's the tortillas, it's not me. You know, maybe they had a couple a couple of tortillas and they're in a food coma. Yeah, that is <laughs> that is the drawback. The other thing, I think the bigger drawback of, of a setup like this, and, and it has nothing to do with with the, the people who are spending this or whatever, but because there's tables involved, you're not like, the people aren't like right on you. Right. There, there's more space between them because, you know, you can't. You can't put them in a room with the chairs close together if you're also going to have meat. You yeah. can spill on your neighbors. These churros were they were they were delicious, but they were I mean, they were a little flaky. You're going to have churros. The churros were a little messy. Next to you, it's not going to be good. I need, made a point to not have a churro before I went on stage because I just I didn't think that having churro stains all over my clothes would create like a credible vibe that I was necessarily going for. So. Oh, yeah. you're yeah. trying to go credible. I'm I wanted sorry. to be credible. I don't know if that came through. But yeah, I, that, for that reason alone, I avoided the churros because I'm like, you know what? Churro crumbs stuck to my clothes. Probably not the look I'm going for. Mm, we were talking a couple podcasts ago <laughs> about selecting food based on whatever, but you, you bring in a whole other variable yeah. of I have to eat and then go on stage. <laughs> right. What is going to be the, the most clean? And right. Mexican buffet is not. I avoided the guac. I avoided the queso. I avoided the sour cream. Just went for a straight up dry tortilla with chicken. So... It was, I took I took the safe route. Yeah, but your decision, and I'm not sorry about it. But your decision was based solely. I like this. There there are variables. Yeah, there's variables. Hundred percent. These are the things we've got to think through. All right, Katie. What what was your talk about here? So my talk was about how essentially the past three years have been a roller coaster, not just for the marketing community, but also for us as people, has as it human only been beings. Three because I've been saying it's been a decade. Is it been a decade? It, well, I it, think it you know, feels like a decade, but it it, really, it feels like the a decade. Calendar says three, right? But maybe it's three, maybe it's five. I mean, who's counting at this point? But it's been you know, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. So a lot of people who are in marketing are trying to figure out how do I navigate that. Should I keep advertising? Should I pull back my ad spend? I don't know what's going on with my consumers. We've got interest rate hikes. We've got more credit card debt, at least I do personally. Maybe that's not applying to everyone, but how do we continue to spend as advertisers and stay in front of our customers when there's just frankly a lot of uncertainty and new challenges that we didn't have a few years ago? And I think, I mean, you talk about this, there's always new challenges and uncertainty. It just right. seems, this seems just to be elevated. It seems like a lot happened in a very short period of time. Like a lot happened, you yeah. know? And the past three years it, have been crazy. That's why I think it feels like 10 because 10 years worth of stuff has happened. In three exactly. Years. Yeah, exactly. So it, it it's definitely a snowball effect. Short period of time, a lot of changes. How do we as people kind of deal with that? I think we've all done a good job adapting. But then if you're in marketing and advertising, which is 
what we do here, then how do I continue to stay in front of my audience? Should I feel confident continuing to spend, essentially? And what do you want people to take away from your talk as far as like action plans or Yeah, so honestly, I think it's that in spite, so if we look at 2022, a lot of marketers pulled back their ad spend and it makes total sense, right? You've got a lot of uncertainty around how consumer purchase behavior is changing, inventory is becoming more expensive, it's becoming harder to track and measure our audiences as we're moving away from cookies. But I think the the thing to think through and keep in mind is that in spite of all of that, even in an economic downturn, we have to stay in front of our customers. Customers are more likely than ever before to switch brands. And so if we're not talking to them, someone else will. And we started to actually see coming out of 2022, brands are starting to spend again. So brand is, I feel like brands and agencies are coming back and it's exciting because last year, I think people kind of put things on pause a little bit. We saw spend decline and now we're starting to see people come back, but we still have a lot of the, some of the same challenges. So how can we kind of work through that and just keep advertising and staying in front of our audiences, knowing that if we don't, someone else will. In 2008, I think I spoke to Terry Marks at the How Conference or an after event or something. He was working on a thing about the numbers showing that if you advertise during the downturn, that the money's actually better. It's spent. actually better. Yeah. Yeah, because because you don't have as much competition and the ad rate stuff's a little bit cheaper That's sometimes. That's right. There's maybe more inventory available. I think the stat that I stands out to me, I think it's around 17%. That is the amount of incremental ROI that advertisers who continued spending through 2022 recognized as a result of their spend. So those who didn't, you would assume they might be losing market share, right? With all these challenger brands coming coming up. So yeah, you've got to just, you got to keep moving ahead. We can't stop ever. We can't slow down. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a marketer, I'm sure, is exactly what you tell your client. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, we gotta we gotta keep moving ahead. Don't be scared. Yeah, and and how do you convince them not to be scared? I mean, I can't I can't convince someone not to be scared. You know, I think the data helps. Like, I'm a very data driven person. Looking at historically what happens to marketers' share when they stop spending during a recession or during a downturn. The data will point to that, okay, that is not the best long-term strategy and that you've got to kind of invest for the long-term. So I think data helps, but ultimately advertisers are going to make their own decisions based on the data that they're looking at, the goals they have, and seeing what their competitors are doing too, I think plays a big part into it. Okay. So that, that, can, that helps. Mm-hmm. A little bit. A little bit. Okay, we're going to be right back with Katie. Katie, you actually have a background in English. Is that right? I do. So I was an English major at Indiana University. And when I told my parents I was going to major in English, my dad said, what the hell are you going to do with an English degree? Sure. So that was kind of the, yeah, that was the reaction I got at home. Ended up majoring in English with a, a minor in Spanish. So I thought I was going to go into publishing, thought I was going to go into journalism, and started working for a newspaper after college, and then quickly realized that I wasn't necessarily looking to make like $25,000 a year as a journalist. And so I actually started working in the advertising department, doing advertising sales, and that was completely by happenstance. And 
Yeah, how does that's that kind of set how, me on I mean, a. I mean, how do you jump in from English to advertising? You know, I think um, so. One was that I had an interest in journalism, and so I kind of knew I wanted to go work for a newspaper after school. And so I, that, those were the jobs that I looked at. Was at newspapers in different markets that I was interested in moving to. And after conversations and some interviews, that's when I realized, wait, okay, I can work kind of journalist, journalism adjacent and work in advertising and still get all of the energy that existed at that time in the newspaper industry. So I love, I kind of fed off of, of and loved that. For, for those listeners who don't know, a newspaper was like a written <laughs> article. It would show up on a daily basis to someone's porch or something, right? Right. Is right. that what they were? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, they were delivered maybe by a bike messenger there were a number of ways you could access them, but yeah. So I, I wanted to work in that kind of environment. And so I started looking at jobs at newspapers and it kind of just led me to a job in advertising. And now 20 years later, here I am. It's one of those good examples of where you don't really pick your career path. Your career path kind of just picks you. I think I'm a, I'm a good example of that. I mean, I'm always interested because, you know, the, the whole creative field, our backgrounds come from everything. So I thought, I mean, yours is fun because you're like, oh, you, you got into English and then you came in there. And obviously we do a lot of, there's a lot of words in, in, right. our, in creative industries. And ideally those should, be, yeah, those should be written properly. Right. It, or in some aspect make sense or convey a message. It helps. Yeah. It, it helps to be, you know, be grammatically correct. Although it's interesting because with uh, my, my team the, coming into this year, I said, all right, guys, like, we're going to come in with an open mind to all these new AI tools and we're going to test them. Like, we're going to test and learn. I'm not mandating that anybody uses these, but you've got like ChatGPT out there, right? At the very least, you have to write about them, I'm assuming. Yeah. At the very least, you've got to write about them. Or, you, or when you're in a meeting, I'm assuming your clients are going to ask you, hey, should we use this? And you have to tell them honestly what it's going to be, I assume. Right. Right. So for those of us who I think are maybe writers and that's like, that's kind of our background and that's our sweet spot. I think there was a level of intimidation of, oh my God, like are these, like is the chat GPT is gonna replace me? And so we started testing it and I've seen people kind of get over that hump of, all right, this isn't gonna replace me, but it can maybe help make me a little faster, a little better at what I do. So I think having a writing background, have, you know, being, being an English major or whatever you majored in, being a content marketer, these tools are not going to replace us. Like, we still need to use our own brains, even when we're using those tools. Was there anyone that was like, "No, this isn't going to replace me. This is. This is it. I don't even need to work anymore." <laughs> or did they not tell you? No that one opted start, out. No one's they, opted or out. Or did they so just far. start sending you stuff from the chat? <laughs> right, and I'm like, you know, this sounds vaguely familiar. Like, I think I've I've read this somewhere before. That has not happened yet. So no one no one has opted out and said, you know what? Just can you just use chat GPT instead of me. So luckily my the peeps are still they're still sticking around. Right. Yeah. For now. Yeah, I mean it, it, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Absolutely. These tools have their limitations, you know, but we're in the very early stages, so who knows what it, things are going to look like even in like a year or two from now. Yeah. And over the years what is the one thing from like your English background that you think um still pays off the best? Or that? Oh, Lord, that's a really good question. For my English major background, yeah. honestly, I think being a, I had to write so much in college 
right? So I had to write so many essays. I'm an amazing typist. Oh. I can type faster. You put me head to head with anyone, I can probably out type them because of the volume of papers I had to write in college. Oh, I didn't even. Yeah, yeah. That's... I'm a great typer, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hang my head on that. Okay, and I mean not as fast as Chat GPT. Pro probably not. Probably not. Give us give me some time. I can get there. I'm assuming your <laughs> stuff would be more interesting to read. I hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. Well, I know you can out type me. I'm I'm a terrible typist. If you if you want to go head to head like any day, let me know. No. no I mean, <laughs> I'd be like the level one. Like right, the just, level one type. You, you're using just literally your index fingers. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. You'd you'd be like this is just a warm up. Right. Like when you're stretching your fingers or something. Sure. Before you got in the real competition, that would follow. Maybe some of these voice memo AI tools could be a good, a good fit for you. That could be. Right. I found my daughter. She's uh she's like ten and, and she's starting to text on her uh, iPad and she's using the voice a lot. Yeah. And we're trying to tell her that you also need to type something. You also need to learn how to type. Yeah. Just a little. Right. But I mean, you also learn how to type. I mean, what would have happened if you would have had to type on an iPad back in college, like your papers would be different. They'd be, yeah, they'd be a lot different. You know, this is where even the art of cursive, right? So a lot of kids don't even know what cursive is anymore. They've never had to use it. So I still like to write in cursive. Like I like to write out the birthday cards in cursive. Just showing off. Just a lost art, you know, keep it alive. Yeah, no, I like it, show <laughs> off, let the kids know. Just let them know. Also now Like mom's like been around for a while, okay guys? Like. You should respect this cursive handwriting. Also, it's, it's kind art. of like it's kind of like a thing where it's kind of like keeping secrets from anyone under the age of like twenty. They they won't be able to read it. True, that's true. It's like kind of like uh, encrypted. Yeah. You know, for those of us in the millennial generation, yeah, it's, like an, it. it's an encrypted way of communicating. I do. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that's another benefit I got from my English background. I'm going to use that one too. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you guys have to write in by hand too, or just typing? Or no, did we didn't. No, okay. No, no, I'm just making stuff up. Okay. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Everything was typed when I was in college. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was by the time, but when even when I was in college. Right. So. But I'm assuming, I guess, now that you think about it, yeah, there's probably a time where it was all handwritten. Probably. Yeah. Oh, geez, I can't. I was it. using a. I mean, in high school, I was using a typewriter. Middle school, I was using a typewriter. <laughs> I think when I went to With middle ink. school, they brought in they brought in a computer lab about the time I got there. Okay. But I never took that class, which which shows which is why you right. These things, Hence but. the index finger typing. Yeah. Yeah. But but I mean they were there. Right. But the typewriters were on the way out. But we didn't have a computer at home. There. Was the thing. Oh. Right. So for homework, I was using a typewriter for a little while. Okay. Yeah. That's even another that's lost art. Yeah, because you forget how hard it was to, uh, I mean, if you didn't like how something was, was going, you'd have to retype the whole page. Right, exactly. I don't That's where the little whiteout would come in handy. I would white out things, and then you scroll back, and you try to line up the type exactly with the same line you were on. I, I used to Do you remember that? Yeah, I didn't. I would use a typewriter here and there because, you know, grandpa and grandma would have one. Mm-hmm. And you would just think it was I used fun. my grandma's. That's exactly yeah. what I did. And that is something where, you know, even even just starting with it, you're like, okay, you learn the whiteout and how to go back because they'd show you how to do it. And you're like, this is different. <laughs> this is not efficient. 
right? I will say that once the typewriter disappeared, like filling out forms, now you just, before you'd always type them, and now you're like, well, I'm going to have to do this by hand because it's a paper form. Right. Like, how am I going to do this otherwise? Where right. Where I have to scan it, and I'm not going to do that. Yeah, no, no thanks. No thank you. So I think that thing, all of a sudden, those forms, when the, t- when the computer came in, started to become a handwritten, I assume. Yeah, I would, I would think so. So strange. I would think so. We're going to be right back with uh, Katie. Hey, Katie, first off, where do people go to find out more about you or to find out more about what you do? Sure. So I work for a company called Basis Technologies. We're based in Chicago. We actually rebranded two and a half years ago from Centro to Basis. Interestingly enough, so I lead the marketing team there. I was on maternity leave when we rebranded. So call that like a good decision, a bad decision, but I personally think it was a great decision. I was keeping in touch with my team while I was out and I was like, guys, just let me know when the new website's up. So. (laughs) Nice. You're like, I got other stuff. Right. And I'm like, they literally knocked it out of the park. Like they crushed it. What's what's the URL? So www.basis.com. Okay. Basis, B-A-S-I-S.com. I I mean, you got a 500 domain name on a rebrand two and a half years ago. Yeah. Yeah. We did. That's not cheap. Not cheap. So. We were a .NET before that, so this was a big, big milestone. We're no longer a .NET. We're now a .com. Yeah, I mean, I was the .NETs were always like, I mean, sometimes you got to do it, but it's right. Nobody, nobody chooses. No one, it. yeah, no, it's not your first choice. But it's like, well, do we do the .NET or do we put a hyphen in the name? Right. And you're like, <laughs> you're like, eh, .NET seems easier. Yeah. So yeah, but when I started, I started with Basis over 18 years ago. And at the time, the name of the company was actually Integrant, with an accent over the E, so nobody could pronounce our name. So oh, we, yeah, and you can't, and there's no URL with an right, accent. Right, right. So literally, we went from Integrant to Centro, and now we're Basis.com, not .net. Okay, what's Basis do? So Basis works with advertisers and agencies, and essentially we help them streamline all of their digital advertising. So everything from desktop to mobile to uh, connected TV, digital out of home. We're now actually doing audio ads that you can place on AM, FM radio, like the kind that you listen to in your car or on your home stereo, if you, anyone listens to their home stereo anymore. Sure. They actually still do, surprisingly. No. So yeah, we, we help advertisers with all of their digital advertising and consolidate it into one place. Uh, so we've been in business for about 20 years. How do you keep up on that? Because I've even heard that now the big issue is is AM radios aren't even going to be in cars anymore. Like a lot of cars aren't having them because uh, was it Tesla and Fords don't have them because it messes with with some of the new electric. Oh vehicles. really? So they're like interesting. So they're like um, I don't think Teslas have AM tuners, and I think Ford. I think it could be wrong on this one, but yeah. one of the major auto manufacturers is just like we're just going to cut AM out. Huh? Like very soon. That does not surprise me. Honestly, most of our audio advertising through our platform is on like the digital streaming services. So the Spotify's, the Pandora's. But if somebody does want to reach people through terrestrial radio, we have that available as well. So you guys have grown obviously with the new with the new technology. Yeah, we've grown a lot. So we have a we have a platform that essentially automates and streamlines all of these things. Uh, a lot of our clients just license our software. They do it themselves. But we work with a ton of brands who they're not ready to necessarily bring all this stuff in-house, right? So their marketing team might consist of creative 
department, strategy, events, PR, and then they're not looking to build out a full advertising team in-house. So we sure. also partner with those folks and help them with whatever they need, whether it's strategy or execution or anywhere in between. Yeah, because I wouldn't even think of all the places you would need to. I would just say, like, well, what do I listen to? And right. Just there and I'd be like, <laughs> no one else listens to this stuff, so right. that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's a lot to, I mean, the amount of channels that are, emer- it's, it's a lot to stay on top of. And do you have to figure out, like, where the, I mean, it's obviously where the audience is, plus obviously what cities they broadcast to. Like, do you have to break down all that? Is we that do. Yeah, we do. So we work with a lot of global advertisers, and we help them if, you know, if they don't have strategy in-house, um, we can help them figure out which markets, which audiences they need to be in front of, and we can get down to a very hyper-local level. So let's say... Like our company, Basis, right now is sponsoring this event that we're at today. So I could advertise hyper locally and literally just like geofence this building so that you're just getting served Basis ads on your phone while you're here. So we can help, you know, anything from like a totally global presence down to a very hyper local presence, even down to like street coordinates. We can we can help our advertisers do that. Oh wow! Yeah, it's very fancy. Yeah, I didn't it's very even fancy stuff. And I guess that's part of the reason, I guess, there's certain things where you say if you don't have that part on your team, but I don't know many teams that have someone that is just specific to knowing how to locate a four-block radius. You don't need in... someone. You don't need someone right. who can well, do I don't that, know why right? you would find someone, yeah. you know. It's, I think it's like you've got to find, if you have a digital advertising person, a digital advertising strategist, then essentially it's all about them just having, like, licensing the right tools so they can enter in the parameters and let the tools do the targeting for them. So yeah, you. this is not something where you need to have it all stored up up here. Well, that's good because I don't. Right, yeah. Neither do I. Neither do I. Yeah. Luckily, I work with like a thousand people, many of whom do. So. Yeah. And you said when you started there, it was it, there wasn't a thousand. Yeah. Places. So I started, there were three of us. Uh, we were working on an Ikea desk. And... It's one desk it or was, you each have your own? Oh, no. We were on one long desk. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. You know, our founder and CEO, he had an office, but it was nothing exciting or to write home about. So I remember at the time I was interviewing with the Chicago Tribune and I was interviewing with, at the time, Integrant. And I was in my early 20s. So my this was after my working at the, news, at the Cincinnati Enquirer for two years. My dad, who's an entrepreneur, was like, take the job at Integrant. And I'm like, well, I, I don't even know if they have health insurance. Like, I don't, I mean, is this company even going to be around in a year? And he's like, listen, even if it's not, you're in your 20s, you'll find something else. You know, you're going to learn a lot more from an entrepreneur than you would going to work for a big company. So honestly, I think it's some of the best advice I've ever gotten and started. And it was a wild ride. Like it was, it was a lot of fun, like looking back on those early days. But now we're, yeah, we're a thousand people and with employees all over the world so so the desk is a lot longer the desk is a lot longer yeah although now we're all remote so we all work from home we do still have offices but we're using them in other ways so it's not necessarily like people can go in if they want but for me at least i don't feel the need to get people together in person unless it's for something we can't accomplish over zoom i think people want flexibility i want flexibility i want to be able to work from home so when we get people together in person, I think that's where we leverage our office space and we do events, you know, things that require more creativity, I think are just better suited to in person. 
How often? How often do you, for your team, do you find that is appropriate? Like, is that on a? We're getting weekly? together is four a times monthly? a year okay. in person. Quarterly, I like it. Yep, but um, I mean, my team's all over the U.S. now. So whereas we were all mostly concentrated in Chicago and Toronto pre-pandemic, and now, I mean, people moved. So oh, I was going to ask, did people move or when you hire people and you realize that you're only seeing four <laughs> times a year, you don't have to hire your neighbor? You right. Know? Yeah, I think it's both. I mean, we've obviously grown our team and so we've hired people all over, but then also people moved. You know, we've got people who are living in Chicago before and they're like, why am I going to pay this amount of money to live in this condo in the city where I have no space when I can move to Michigan and have a nice house with a big yard? And can I still keep working for basis if I move? It's like, yeah, go for it. Do what makes you happy, you know? So now we've got people all over the place. I moved during the pandemic. I didn't move far, but I was one of those city dwellers who was like, I got to get out of here. Moved to the burbs? Moved to the burbs. Took the plunge and moved to the burbs. All right. Yeah. yeah. Didn't have to worry about the uh, the commute time as much. because That's right. Yeah. Now, there's a different set of challenges. I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old who are at home, we have a nanny, but doesn't mean they don't come and find me, you know? So, which honestly has been awesome because I've gotten to spend more time with them than I ever would have uh, if I was, you know, commuting in and out of the city every day like I used to do. Plus you'd probably be in the smallest place area and they, would, they wouldn't find you because you'd be in the same room with them. That's right. In, in the middle of the city. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. I think literally at the time with two large dogs, a baby and a husband I was like we got to get out of this condo um <laughs> before we all kill each other yeah Man, so we, we went to the burbs the dogs having a yard has to I mean they probably were the happiest of everybody they were they were yeah so we made the we made the big migration in spite of the fact that like my husband thought we're never gonna like we're not moving to the burbs like we love the city we love the restaurants I'm like yeah we have a two and a four-year-old so like restaurants are now no longer are the number one priority for us yeah, you and, know? You don't, and you don't get to go out to any night events anyway for at least for the foreseeable future. Sure. <laughs> or at least not on, <laughs> or a, just, not on a, not on a, you know, a few times a week. Exactly. Basis is what I mean. I'm exactly. Leave, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So now we just bring the kids with us everywhere. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, well, Katie, thank you so much for your time. Thank and, you for uh, having me. Look forward to look forward to seeing you. you you're done. This was your, your talk was over lunch. Everyone's taking a nice yeah. nap now. Now I'm going to go party. They might wake up in time to see Ross. <laughs> they might miss him. We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully they come back. Yeah. Hopefully they come. Hopefully they have digested their tortillas. They'll be back. Yeah. I have confidence. All right. So thanks for having me. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Beery is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab.